How many in our assembly were with their choice or with or without their choice baptized as Roman Catholics? Would you do us a favor and please stand? If you were ever sprinkled as a Roman Catholic or became a Catholic. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. The Mother Church, she's not our mother. Baptists are not the daughters of the Church of Rome. Baptists have existed since the days of the Apostles outside the pale of the Roman Catholic Church. There was no Roman Catholic Church until the 4th to the 6th centuries after the Caesars left the city of Rome and the popes took the authority of the Western Empire. We are not part of that brothel of mother whore and her daughter whores. We did not come out of the Reformation. We are not Reformed Catholics. We are Baptists like John the Baptist, Mary, Jesus, and Paul. And I hope that our young people will remember that. I would like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you're able to see. If not, you're going to listen to me. 1 Timothy chapter 4, I will bet that my print is smaller than yours, but I'm doing fine. Thank you, Lord, for eyesight. Thank you, Lord, for Kathy's surgery as my backup. 1 Timothy chapter 4, this is the word of the Lord. I had something entirely different planned for you. I had it planned as of going to bed last evening. But in the middle of the night, the Lord gave me a verse out of this passage, and this is what you're getting tonight. And if it's incomplete in comparison to what you think it should be or what you know I could have done, the Lord is in charge of these things, and I submit to Him. I read to you the first six verses of 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. This is the text that I got in the middle of the night. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good Minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Let me start at the end of that passage and we'll work our way backward very briefly. A minister had better preach against Roman Catholicism and had better preach against the heresies of the last days because that's what Paul told him to preach. I'm thankful that we have a church that doesn't follow the the book of prayer of the Church of England or any other manual that tells us what to preach, what to believe, what to think about. If the Bible shows us something, we do it. If a minister is to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, 
He needs to preach against the lies, heresies, doctrines of devils in this passage. Because it says so in that sixth verse. I want you to know that the Spirit speaketh expressly. You don't have to worry about interpreting or understanding these verses. They come in the last times. That This was not true in Timothy's day. It was to follow. Men would depart from the faith. There is only one faith. We are not all going to the same place, nor do we all worship the same God, nor does it matter how we worship Him. There is one faith. And we want to remember that. These are doctrines of devils. These are lies, as the context tells us, and two of them are stated here. Forbidding to marry. That is the Roman Catholic Church's doctrine of celibacy. Meaning that you will not marry if you're a priest, you will not marry if you're a nun. And so they have a whole host in their hierarchy of church offices that do not marry. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. They will not eat meat on Friday, but they'll eat fish, and they will not eat meat during Lent, according to the rules of that church that makes a difference between fish and meat. Here it is in the Word of God. There would be a departure from the faith, and it tells us what it would be. We can see that it's Roman Catholicism for any of you that know very much about Rome. Now, in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, it tells us that an angel came to pour out a vial upon the earth, and that there were seen under the altar of God the martyrs of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not want to forget them. Those who lay down their lives for our country are one thing. But there is a crowd of witnesses far better than they, who died for something far greater than they. And that is the martyrs that died for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall never forget them. They are in heaven calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ to bring His judgment upon the great whore and upon the false religions and false teachers and those who oppressed them and persecuted them. And Jesus has told them, it tells us in Revelation 6, that they should wait for just a little season until others have laid down their lives and we're all together. And then Jesus Christ will come in judgment. That's in Revelation chapter 6. I sent you a slideshow on Monday and for fear that Many of you did not look at it because the Lord's told me to. I'm going to show you a few screenshots of it tonight. But I would like to exhort you. I sent that to you for a purpose. I never put anything in your inbox that is a waste of your time. I put it there because to be a good minister, I need to remind you about this enemy. Some of the things that we take a stand on in this church is because we want to be different from Rome. And we will be different from Rome. I exhort you to look at that slideshow and use it. I gave you two rules in there about using the plus and minus key down in the lower left-hand corner that will, folk, that will zoom in or zoom out. And if you will put your cursor on the picture and hold the left mouse key down and then just move your cursor a little bit, keeping that left finger down, you have a 360-degree view up, down, sideways uh, from the vantage point of ten different places in the Vatican. It's to be reminded that there is an enemy in this world that is called the largest Christian church. 1.1 billion strong. One-sixth of the earth's population claims to be Christian under the great whore of Rome. I would like you... I'm going to tell you about Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, a few weeks ago, when we studied Alexander the Great, you heard about the image that he saw and the four kingdoms that it represented. Those four kingdoms, beginning with 
Babylon, then Media Persia, then Greece, then Rome, then the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other kingdom. Any system of prophetic interpretation that you hear that tries to squeeze another kingdom in there is wrong. There is no other kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ came in the days of the pagan Roman Empire. That pagan Roman Empire died in 476 A.D. when it was overrun by the Vandals out of Europe. And then that beast, aren't they beasts in Daniel chapter 7? Yeah, they are. Then that beast came back to life. So it was a beast that was, is not, and yet is. The Roman Catholic Empire died. I mean, the Roman Empire died. And then it came back to life in the Roman Catholic Empire, or what was called historically the Holy Roman Empire. Now in Daniel chapter 7, we have four animals that represent the same four kingdoms. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. And then Rome degenerated into four horns that grew out of its head. Now remember when the the he-goat had the notable horn broken off, for it sprang up how many horns? Four horns. And they were lesser in power because they were the four generals of Alexander the Great. Now, when the Roman beast gets weak, it degenerates into ten horns. And those are the ten nations of Europe. And that's exactly what happened in 476 A.D. The western nations were thrown to themselves because the emperor fled to the eastern capital of Constantinople, named after Constantine. Out of those ten horns grew a little horn. Different from all the others. Because he was not a head of state. He was the head of the church of Rome. And all of Daniel chapter 7 describes that little horn that grew, plucked up three of the other horns by their roots. Remember that number. (laughs) Remember that number. And then for 1260 years, the Pope of Rome made war against the saints of God and changed times and seasons and laws and spoke blasphemously and profanely. And he had an arrogant look that was more stout than his fellows. He's the most arrogant ruler this world has ever seen. And Daniel 7 describes him in detail. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we are told this, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. The Thessalonians thought Jesus Christ was returning the second time imminently, any time. Paul wrote them in Second Thessalonians 2 and told them, He is not coming immediately. And don't be troubled that, thinking that He is. And then he explains the order of events, and I want to encourage you never to let anyone change this order of events. Let no man deceive you by any means. Why would Paul write that unless there would be great efforts made to deceive us? Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Then the Lord Jesus Christ can come. There are three events And you better always keep the order correct. A falling away. That's apostasy. That's the lies of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Men would depart from the faith. That's falling away from the apostolic doctrine. Second, 
the man of sin would be revealed. And the apostle goes on in 2 Thessalonians 2, which I have taught to you before, phrase by phrase, that in, while the Caesars were in Rome, the bishop of the church of Rome, the pastor of the church at Rome, could not take unto himself the authority of the whole empire. But when the emperor left, when the Caesar left, then the pope, then the bishop of Rome, the pastor of the Roman church, the corrupt Roman church, could take to himself the authority vacated by Caesar. And that is what Second Thessalonians 2 is describing when it says that there was a hindering in place and Paul wouldn't name it, couldn't name it, didn't want to name it, but said, you know what I'm telling you because when I was with you, I told you these things. To have circulated a letter through the Roman Empire that the Roman Empire was going to be destroyed would have been to the detriment of the churches of Jesus Christ. So Paul referred to it obscurely in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then he says that man of sin is going to come forth with all lying signs and wonders, and God is going to send strong delusion upon his followers that they should believe a lie. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If we were... If we were to go to Revelation chapter 6, I mean Revelation chapter 17, the first six verses, let me read them to you. Just listen to the word of the Lord. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore which sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit unto the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns, The ten horns, straight out of Daniel chapter 7. The fourth beast, the Roman beast. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. That is purple and bright red color. And decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written. Mystery. No mystery to us. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. What in the world? A Christian church being the greatest enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. A so-called Christian church being the great enemy. Churches in the Bible are depicted as a woman. This is a woman with daughters, meaning little churches came out of the big church. She is the mother church of false churches. She was drunk with the blood of the saints. She committed fornication with the kings of the earth. There is no head of state of any importance that has not been in the Vatican or had the Pope in his residence. They fornicate with the kings of the earth. And they are guilty of the blood of millions of the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. She's not the mother church. She's the great whore. So let's go to church tonight. 
Let's go to church. Here you are standing in the plaza in front of the little church building we're going to go into. Now that little thing there in the middle is what they call an obelisk. It has other names that I'll let you look up. Some churches use that on top of their building as a steeple. And for any of you in this room, when we bought this church building, it had a steeple. But we removed it because we weren't going to have a meeting place with an obelisk from Egypt and Rome on top of our meeting house. If you turn around and look down the street the other way, you might not be able to see too clearly, but it extends for a great distance. You're standing in a huge plaza about to enter our little church building. And here, let's get closer to it. There's our little church. Sorry that it's red. There's a person there. Can you see him? I just want you to figure out how big it is. Well, we've stepped inside. Not a, not a bad foyer. There's a full-grown man. I just want you to know how big it is. Now, way down here, do you see this little gazebo? Just a little gazebo. You can tell by this six-foot man over here that that gazebo is uh, 25 feet high. We'll get down next to it in just a moment. But that's decent marble there on the floor. Decent walls and statutes. This is a church of the humble and meek Lord Jesus Christ, they claim. Now, you know that the nations of the world that are Catholic the most are the poorest nations on earth. Because the money's been extracted from those nations, and especially their widows, in order to support the Church of Rome. Let me read to you a Bible verse in Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus is condemning the Pharisees that condemns the Roman Catholic Church for this kind of a monstrosity. And what I'm going to show you is a tithe of Vatican City in the middle of Rome. They have many churches there. The Roman Catholics in Rome do not meet in this church for assemblies. This church is too special. But they have other churches that they meet in that hold thousands of people at a time scattered around the Vatican. Matthew 23, verse 14, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Pretend to be religious. Take the last dollar out of a widow's pocket. If a man dies and leaves a Catholic widow who is sincere about her religion, $100,000, and the priest tells that woman that if she has enough prayers made for her dead husband that he could spring from purgatory into heaven, where will the 100000 end up? To a widow who loved her husband in the Roman Catholic Church. We're inside the front door. There's the front door. There's a person. Let's get a close-up. There's the front door. Not bad. Let's turn around and get closer to that gazebo. Now, what do they do under the gazebo? Well, they have the high altar of the Roman Catholic Church. The most important altar where Mass is offered on special occasions where the Pope himself will come and offer Mass. Now, can you see the scale? Are you able to tell by looking at the people how big that gazebo is and what kind of a building we're in? 
Now, if you lived in poverty in Italy, like most of the people do, relative poverty compared to the size of the houses and luxury that you live in, or you were a visitor from many nations on earth and you walked into a place like this and heard its instrumentation and its choir singing, would you think that you might be in the presence of God? For those who are geared towards sensual religion, what you can see and hear, you would think that you might be in the presence of God. Let's get real close. Now we're up at the front side of that gazebo, and we're looking at the high altar of the Roman Catholic Church that is elevated by seven steps. They're in the middle underneath the gazebo. Now that's an interesting shape of those columns. What is that shape called? That's a serpentine column, because it looks like a... A serpent. And it's all covered with gold leaf. And you can see the size of a man here and the size of that statue. This is what the mother of harlots has done. She is the mother church, but she's not our mother. Right here is the high altar. Pope stands behind that and turns what into God? A little round cracker that looks like a sunburst. Now we've stepped past the high altar and the serpentine columns and we're looking way down further and we see a bright light up there. Can you see the Holy Spirit? Or is it too hard to distinguish there coming through the light? Now can you see this thing right here? We're going to focus in on that. It's behind that cross that crucifix. Do you see Jesus hanging on the cross? That's a crucifix. I'm sorry I didn't bring one tonight for you to see, but I just want you to know that this is an abomination. Our Lord Jesus Christ is not on the cross, and he didn't look like that on the cross anyway. Why do they clothe him? He was naked. That is a chair that's back there. Can you see the chair? That is St. Peter's chair. It's way up on the wall. Let's get a view, let's get an idea of where we are. Under the gazebo, we turn around and look backward at that front door we came through. There's the front door. If we look downward, we see some stairs going down under the high altar. Guess who they say is buried down there? St. Peter himself. Of course. Now, who was the apostle the New Testament tells us had his ministry to Rome? Paul. Where was Peter when we last read about him in 1 Peter chapter 5 as he closes out his first epistle? What city was he in? Babylon. Babylon. It's over in Iraq. It's, it's just a, a long way from Italy. They got a whole bunch of stuff down there. If we look straight up at the gazebo, can you see the Holy Spirit up there overseeing what they're doing? Can you see all the gold leaf all over these serpentine columns? If we look to the left, we see this little cubby hole. It's just a little cubby. See the full-size man? Let's zoom in. Oh, it's another church. And they're sitting there, and Mass is being offered. There's one of those very nice fellows in white. There's three of them there. 
And they've got such a pretty picture up there of a mother holding a baby. And the people are sitting. Look at the size of it. That's just a cubby hole on the left. If we look to the right, there's another little cubby hole. And we can zoom in there and there's some of the faithful sitting and praying, looking at a candelabra and a picture. But let's keep working toward the front. From the gazebo we look and there's the chair, St. Peter's chair, far above God as represented by the high altar of the Roman Catholic Church. And here's another altar. There's a picture of it. I hope you can see the size. There's a throne right here with a microphone and two tables. Now we have some work to do to climb up here. Way up on the wall is St. Peter's chair. See the apostles around it in subordination to Peter who sit, who is represented by that chair? Now do you see his special crown up here? It's called a tiara. I don't know how well you can see, but can you see that it's one crown, two crowns, three crowns stacked on top of each other? What number did I tell you to remember from Daniel chapter 7? That the little horn would grow out of the Roman beast and pluck up three of the horns? There's the three. They were three territories around Rome, Italy, of the ten nations that Rome degenerated into when it died, and the emperor fled to the east. The popes have said that those three crowns represent that they rule in heaven, earth, and hell. Where did this particular kind of a hat come from? Can you see this one over here that it's it's got a front half and it's got a back half so that if you looked at it from the side it would look like the open mouth of a fish. That's what the priests of Dagon wore. We're getting closer. There's the crown again, the triple crown, the tiara. And there's the Holy Spirit coming through that light with all these babies and cherubs and stuff. They wouldn't know what a cherub looks like. The cherubs in the Bible didn't look like little babies tooting horns. Little chubby babies tooting horns. They looked like mighty men that caused pretty courageous men themselves to fall at their feet as dead. Now if we come down, there's another cubby. Now, remember, we were standing under the gazebo, and there was a cubby to the left and a cubby to the right, and they were actually quite long halls. And between those cubbies, or halls, and the front, there's some other cubbies. And this is one side, and this is the other side. Now, my children that are in this assembly, there's a reason we don't have a piano and an organ in our church. Because the church that invented such stuff in New Testament churches is the Roman Catholic Church. Those pipes for that organ are out of Rome. We don't do that because Jesus and the apostles told us to sing, not to play. So we're not like Rome. That's why we do it. We're not trying to just be different from Rome. We're trying to follow the Bible. Rome doesn't care about the Bible. Rome wants to make it as pretty as possible to keep as many unregenerate, reprobate pagans as happy as possible in their religion. 
Now we're standing up near that front altar underneath the chair of St. Peter looking back. Again, you can see the high altar and you can see the gazebo and all the way at the other end is the doors that we came in at the beginning. That is the great whore. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 in describing this monstrosity called the temple of God and a man that sits in it who professes himself to be above God. It says that he opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Everyone is to pay homage to the Pope of Rome. Every head of state in the world is to kiss his hand, kiss his ring, kiss his feet. He exalts himself above all that is called God. And for 1,800 years, no one had a doubt about the interpretation of Second Thessalonians chapter 2 except the Roman Catholics, which didn't like the interpretation because it condemned them. They are the ones that invented a futuristic man of sin to get the heat off of them because everyone in the Reformation, every Baptist, every Baptist 200 years ago, every Baptist 150 years ago, knew who the man of sin was. Everyone. It's the popes of Rome. And the interpretation that I just briefly gave you a moment ago. But it says that he as God sitteth in the temple of God. Now listen, there's no temple of God on earth since 70 A.D. So how could there be a future date when someone sits in the temple of God? It doesn't matter what they build in Jerusalem. It'll never be the temple of God. The true temple of God's in heaven, but there is an organization and a building on earth that is called a temple of God. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he professes to have, and he sits in it. And when he sits in it, he shows himself that he is God because he makes and decrees doctrines as if he were God. I want you to notice in this text, it says when he sits, he sitteth in the temple of God. When a pope gives a new doctrine, what is it called in Catholic Latin language? Ex cathedra. From the bishop's chair. What bishop? The bishop of Rome. Represented by St. Peter's chair way up on the wall. The actual chair that he sits in is in a wing of this facility. But when he sits in that chair from the bishop's seat, he can say whatever he chooses to say, and it is then infallible doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. For instance, the Assumption of Mary is a doctrine that wasn't taught until the last hundred years. The Assumption of Mary is that she didn't die and get buried. She went to heaven like Enoch did. She went to heaven like Jesus did. It's called the Assumption of Mary. How about the Immaculate Conception? That's in the last 150 years. When you hear the words Immaculate Conception, do you think that means that Mary was a perfect virgin when she conceived Jesus? No. What does Immaculate Conception mean? St. Anne had a perfect child. Mary was born sinless to Anne. You say, where does it say in the Bible that her mother was Anne? It doesn't say that in the Bible. Why would you even ask? Oh, my brethren, if you if I put you in remembrance of these things, then I'm a good minister of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so from time to time, I want you to think about this, 
Because I want you to realize what the mother church has done to Christianity and all the little churches that came out of her and all the things that they have kept from Rome. We do our best to keep Rome off us and follow the Scriptures as closely as we can. Let me briefly mention some of the abominations of the church at Rome. The hierarchy of priests, bishops, archbishops, cardinals, and popes. Where in the world does that come from? That isn't out of the Bible. How about priests and nuns? We don't need a priest in the New Testament. We've got the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as you put the power of a priest in a man's hands, you've got bondage over people. But we don't have that. I'm no priest for you. I'm not a priest for you in any sense of the word. Who are the priests in this church? All of us. The priesthood of believers. One of the liberating doctrines of Baptists. The priesthood of all believers. You can go straight to God. You don't need me or a priest of Rome. You can go straight in the presence of God because there's a high priest there waiting for you who suffered all the temptations you suffer without sin. The Lord Jesus Christ. How about purgatory? Is there a place between heaven and hell called purgatory? That's just a money generating idea. Because if you put people in purgatory and then say, we'll pray them out if you give us enough, the cash will flow. How about Mariolatry and the worship of Mary with statutes? How about a mass where a little cracker is turned into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ? The reason I always repeat that is I want you to realize their doctrine. When you eat the cracker, you're not just eating the body of Jesus, you're also eating His blood. Because they never gave the wine to the laity until the last few years. They only gave the wafer. And they said, don't worry about it. The wafer is the body and the blood. Why did Jesus say, drink ye all of it? Did He mean to empty your cup? Or did He say, drink y'all? Of it. All of you drink the wine. Jesus pointing out in that one little statement that the Catholics were coming and they were wrong. How about the rosary? Saying ten Hail Marys for every our Father which art in heaven. How about calling priests Father when Jesus said, Call no man Father on earth? Does that mean we can't, I can't call Rowan Crosby my Father? Of course it doesn't mean that. It means it in a religious sense. Which way does the Catholic Church use it? In a religious sense. What do they call the Pope? Most Holy Father. Most Holy and Reverend Father. There's one being that we know that's reverend. And God is His name. Jehovah. The Ten Commandments. They have Ten Commandments that take away the commandment in the beginning about worshiping statutes and having statues. So how do they end up with the number ten? Divide number 10 and 2. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, and then thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's stuff. Cute. The mother of abominations. How about the shroud of Turin? Do we know that the shroud is false? How do we know the shroud is false? From a Bible. Do you know what, do you know how many minds and how much scientific effort have been put into trying to determine if the shroud is False or not? We, our children can know it. Jesus was buried in two cloths. One cloth went around his head, and the other cloth went around his body. And when the women went into the tomb, they found the two cloths separate, laying by themselves. 
The same way Lazarus was buried. It was the Jewish method of burial. John chapter 11 verse 44 tells us the same thing. Baptism saves. Where did that heresy come from? Rome. Infant baptism. Rome. Pouring. Rome. Do you remember the Sunday that I bored you with a few of the details of a Roman Catholic baptism? Salt. Chasing the devil out the side door. Etc. Etc. Unbelievable. How would anyone believe that? God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth. That damnation is falling under a system of bondage that gives them no hope, will take every dollar out of their pockets, and never give them confidence of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The confessional. You've got to go and confess your sins to a priest. Mary's perpetual virginity. She never had sex with poor Joseph. Mary was sinless. Penance. You've got to pay for your sins. The eternal sonship of Jesus Christ came out of that church. The vestments that the priests wear. If you ever see me come in here with a robe, you rip it off me or light it on fire with your bick. Listen, we don't wear vestments when we go to church. That's Catholic. They had the Inquisition where they would take Christians like you and me, and if we wouldn't own that the Pope of Rome was the head of the church, and that Mary was born sinless, and that their communion wafer was truly the body and blood of Jesus Christ, they'd stretch you apart on a rack. They would pull you apart joint by joint in the Inquisition during the Dark Ages of Europe. But you won't learn it in history. But you can read Fox's Book of Martyrs and other documents that prove it with names, dates, and cities. They believe in papal infallibility, meaning the Pope is infallible when he utters doctrine from the bishop's chair. That Peter was the primary apostle. And the doctrine of celibacy that they can't get married. But let's think about those two last points for a moment. Peter's the chief apostle, and yet they teach the doctrine of celibacy that priests and apostles and so forth can't get married. What do we know about Peter in two different places in the Bible? He was married. He had a wife. I love the Bible. Why do you think the Lord put that in there? What do you know about the wife of John? What do you know about the wife of Thaddeus? But you know what? Peter's in there twice. Why? We serve a great God. And we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the testimony of Jesus. He has testified what He thinks of that church. And we keep the commandments of God. We are no better than the average Catholic sitting in their church tonight. It is by the grace of God that has made any difference in our lives whatsoever. That's why we are bound to give thanks to God always. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation Amen. through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Right. We would fall under that strong delusion as fast or faster than anyone if it wasn't for the grace of God. There's more that could be said. How many books do they have in their Bible approximately? First of all, let's make sure you know how many are in yours. How many books in your Bible? 66. That's why we call it a 66 Magnum. How many books in theirs? About 75. There's material on our website to help you know what we've been saved from. 
Let me repeat the verse for the fourth time. I don't know if you appreciate it or not. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 comes in a context of the man of sin, the lying wonders of that church right there, Rome, that we just looked at, and the strong delusion that is upon her members. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord. If I fail in this duty of exhorting you to be thankful to God that He saved you, there are 1.1 billion stupefied, ignorant followers of the Pope of Rome that thinks there is value in the Catholic Church and believes what they have pronounced to be doctrine. They think that little fairy over there, Pope Boniface the Sixteenth, is the representative of God on earth. He's the vicar of Jesus Christ. We are bound to give thanks always to God. If we're to fulfill that verse, I've got to preach this to you, and I've got to say it that fourth time, or we fail. I want us to be good Christians in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what the world thinks about a presentation like this. I want you to know the Bible. I want you to know that in Daniel chapter 2, there's only five kingdoms. There is Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, Jesus. I want you to know that there's only five in Daniel chapter 7. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, Jesus. There is no other kingdom. Don't worry about Islam. Islam's no threat to Christians. No Christian would ever join Islam. But there's a Christian church that is the enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the anti-Christian church. And I wanted to remind you of it tonight. I want you to know what 2 Thessalonians 2 is talking about when it says there will be a falling away, the man of sin will be revealed, then Jesus comes. What's the order they teach at Bob Jones? Jesus comes, then the man of sin is revealed. They have it backwards. They've been deceived. They're wrong. While you're at Bob Jones University, they've got the greatest display of Catholic art in the Western world. You can go visit it in the art museum. It's a lesson in theology to wander through there and look at paintings that are 20 feet high with 18-inch frames showing pictures of Jesus giving the keys of the kingdom of heaven to Mary. Of John the Baptist pouring a cup of water over Jesus' head in the River Jordan. Of Mary standing on the serpent. Because that's what it says in the Catholic Bible in Genesis 3.15. That Mary would bruise the serpent's head. Who bruised the serpent's head and gave the devil a fatal wound? It is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross. We don't carry a cross. We live in the light of the cross. We don't carry a cross. The cross has crucified us to the world. And it's crucified the world to us. And if we look a little silly to them, so what? The cross has crucified us to them. And them to us. There's a book that's in some of the homes of this church called Babylon Mystery Religion by Ralph Woodrow. You should read it. There's a book in this church in several homes called Martyrs of the Catacombs. Deborah Richard bought a number of them for families. I've given you the online Bible so that you can go read the commentaries on any of these passages. And I don't have a thing to worry about. Because 200 and 300 years ago, when conservative Christians wrote commentaries on Daniel 2, 7, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 Timothy 4, Revelation 17. They weren't confused by having watched too much Tim LaHaye. 
And they'll give you historical details that are wonderful. And I've given you that tool. That's because I'm not infallible. Go ahead and try me. Test me. Study. I've put into your hands the most useful Bible study device that there is. Because I'm not afraid of it. Why did the Catholic Church take the Bible out of its members' hands for 1,500 years? Because they were afraid of it. It changed Europe. When William Tyndale died in the flames of Rome and the Church of England and said, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England with his last words. That was in the late 1500s. What happened in 1604? King James I of England, the 6th of Scotland, of Ireland and France. I want there to be a new translation. Get rid of all these competing Bibles. And so in 1611, we got our King James Bibles. And this is our salvation right here. Do you know how many Catholics have gone home and read this Bible when it was shown to them by someone and found out that they shouldn't call any man on earth father? That Jesus said that in the red writing? Do you know what that would do to a Catholic's mind who has called their priest father for 50 years and then to find out that Jesus said, call no man on earth father? My last verse. Would you please, if you don't have your Bibles open, to second, go ahead and open them to Second Thessalonians 2. Please, quickly. If you're not there, Second Thessalonians 2. Do you know where to go to show the Roman Catholic Church in the Bible? Romans 7 has a little horn growing out of the degenerate, destroyed Roman Empire. Just like the four generals growing out of the destroyed Alexander the Great Empire. Daniel 7. The entire chapter is about the popes of Rome. Entire chapter. Daniel 7. Wonderful chapter. Makes war with the saints of God for 1260 years. Second Thessalonians 2. Where you are right now. The man of sin. First Timothy chapter 4 that I opened with about the two doctrines of celibacy and forbidding to eat meat. Of the doctrines of devils. Then Revelation 17, this is making it simple, there are several other chapters that are entirely Roman Catholicism and Revelation. But Revelation 17, at the end of that 17th chapter of Revelation, the angel says to John that that woman, that woman, is the city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now what city was reigning over the kings of the earth in approximately 60, 70, 80, 90 A.D. when John was alive. Rome. She's riding upon a scarlet-colored beast. She's in purple and scarlet. Would you pray tell me what cardinals and popes wear? Other than they're white when they're looking like they're in their pajamas? They're decked out in purple and red and gold. Just like it's described. Do they have a chalice in every single one of their churches that they hold up and that chalice is everything to them? A golden cup of abominations. Have they committed fornication with every king of the earth? Did Pepin III of France have to come and get crowned by the Pope of Rome on his knees with the Pope putting the crown on his head with his feet? You say... What monarch would submit to that? 
It's Revelation 17, 17. God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and give their kingdoms to the beast. What's a beast? The beast is not the head of the United Nations. Brethren, I have worked so hard for you to know what a beast is. A beast is an empire. Remember? The he-goat, the ram, the lion, the leopard with the four wings. Do I need more pictures? That's what a beast is. It's an empire. What's the beast in Revelation 12, 13, 17, 18, 19? The Roman Catholic Church. Alive, dead, came back to life. Recovered from a deadly wound. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The first three verses tell us not to be deceived, that there's a certain order that Paul wants us to know. There has to be a great apostasy where all sorts of terrible, wild doctrines are invented. Then a man of sin is revealed that sits in some temple and professes to be God and above all that is called God. Then Jesus Christ can come. That's what we believe. It's in the first three verses. Then that man of sin is described and how the Pope, how the Emperor of Rome, the Caesars, were keeping him out of his office in verses 5 through 8. Then verses 9 through 12 describe the strong delusion that God will send upon those people who reject the truth. The truth is, when you put a Roman wafer on your tongue, it dissolves like any other wafer. That's the truth. But they wouldn't receive the truth. They hear the Bible... Any scrap of the Bible will condemn the Roman Catholic Church. And when they make a choice to go against the Bible and for the church, God sends them strong delusion to believe a lie. Do you remember in the Bible when an Israelite, his own people, would go to a prophet with an idol in their heart? God promised that he would deceive that prophet and deceive those people going to the prophet. I want you to understand that right there. Okay. Verse 13 is the one I've said to you four times tonight, but we are bound to give thanks. I want you to know the context of that verse. We are blessed by God to be saved from that nightmare of a mess called Roman Catholicism. But I want verse 15. Therefore, therefore, He has saved us. He has chosen us. He has loved us from the foundation of the world. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Now, how do you stand fast? When you're standing, you're not moving, so how can you be moving fast? Because when it says stand fast, it doesn't mean to move. It means to be securely fastened down right there. Therefore, my brethren, stand fast. I am fastened right here. I am not going to change. That's what our church has to believe. And hold the traditions which ye have been taught, not by the popes, not by the merit magisterium of the Catholic Church, whether by word or our epistle. If you heard us preach it, or if you read us writing it, hold that fast. And if any man or an angel from heaven preaches anything different than that, let him be accursed. Right. Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 9. Brethren, remember 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. That is why we don't celebrate the holidays. Children. We don't celebrate Halloween because Halloween is a Roman Catholic holiday. The words mean hallowed evening. Can you spell Halloween? It's had a few letters taken out and it means hallowed evening. It's New Year's Eve for devil worshippers from Great Britain. 
The Roman Catholics whitewashed it and made it the eve before All Saints Day, October 1st. That is why we don't celebrate Halloween, among many other reasons. It's an abominable night of the devil. That's why we take our position on the holidays. It's not a light matter with us. It's not a matter of liberty with us at all. Christmas. Christmas. What are the last three letters of that word? Mass. Christ's Mass. It is Roman Catholicism. It is taking the Roman Saturnalia and the Day of the Invincible Sun and whitewashing it in order to keep pagan, unregenerate, reprobates happy because they can keep their former pagan holidays in the Roman Catholic Church. That's why we don't keep those days. We could go on to other days. St. Valentine's Day. Go read where it came from. It came out of Rome and it was whitewashed by the Roman Catholic Church. It's why we don't have musical instruments in our church. It's why we don't have a steeple. It's why we don't have art. It's why we don't have statues. It's why we don't have a ritual. We, Brethren, when we come to worship, we want to come to worship with our hearts bursting with desire to be in the presence of God and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't just come in here, genuflect, and sign ourselves with the sign of the cross, and then sit here and have a 60-minute charade in front of you. We open the Word of God. We learn it. We sing. We get involved in our spirits. We don't have external religion that appeals to the senses like the Roman Catholic Church does. We don't have memorized prayers. Whenever you have some institution, I won't name it, it might even be in this city, that likes to quote what they call the Lord's Prayer, that's being like a Catholic. Why in the world would you read a prayer, memorize a prayer, and say a prayer? There's no magic in those words. Jesus said to pray after this manner. He didn't say to repeat these words after me. The church is not the building. We could meet in the woods, we could meet in the barn, we could meet in the cave, we could meet in the salt mines under Rome called the catacombs. Because the church is a body of believers with Jesus Christ as their head, and they have sworn allegiance to Him. We're not going to have any traditions in this church except the tradition of the Word of God, whether by word or epistle. Except we don't have any word, do we? Because we've never heard the apostles directly, so it's got to be in writing. Therefore, we'll change the pace up from time to time just to make sure that you children don't think that it's got to be done that way. Because it doesn't got to be done that way. The Lord's given us open liberty. We don't have any titles. That's why I want to be Brother Jonathan to you adults and Brother Crosby to you children. Because the Bible says to call no man father. And the only title we're supposed to have with each other is brother. We don't want any, we don't want formality that comes out of Rome. We want to be enthusiastic. Jesus Christ worshiping and praising and loving brothers and sisters when we assemble here. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. I was told to preach what I just did to you tonight. I hope that you'll remember Daniel 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 Timothy 4, Revelation 17. I hope you know who the man of sin is. I hope you know the proper order from 2 Thessalonians 2. I hope you know what the little horn is that grows out of the Roman beast in Daniel chapter 7. 
May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.